Hi, welcome to Zero Ambitions. It's me, Jeff, and Alex. So this week it's an episode to talk about the place of hybrid heating in decarbonisation. So we don't discuss hydrogen as a hybrid heating solution, since its place in that solution, the decarbonisation of home heating, is probably as sound as the place of Mars colonisation in resolving the housing crisis. I mean, they're both absurdly expensive and inefficient given the the nature of the problems at hand and the obvious solutions that are already there. Anyway, um, we met Stephen Kelly of Oya Energy and I had a chat with him. Uh, They're an organisation that offers hybrid heating solutions, so heat pumps combined with legacy gas boilers used as a a transition technology rather than an ultimate end. Jeff was sceptical of any solution that keeps fossil fuels at the heart of the offer, which, I mean, I'm sure you'll you'll detect that tone in the conversation. I don't think the conversation ran quite as any of us expected, but uh, it was good. We all learned somewhat. Um, hope you enjoy it. So, uh, last thing, please subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. If you could review the podcast, it'd be greatly appreciated. Five-star reviews, so everyone says, make a difference. Uh, who am I to disbelieve them? Um, and obviously, share it if you could. If you enjoy it, you probably know other people who will. Fuck in the industry, without the industry, whatever. I mean, far and wide, please. And again, as ever, subscribe Passive House Plus, advertise if this is the sector that you're working in, uh, and join ACAN, join the ACB if it's relevant to you. Anyway, I'll let you go listen now. Uh, thanks for downloading. Cheers. How are you getting on, Jeff? Busy yeah, morning. Yeah, good, good, and nice to nice to meet you both, Lydia and Stephen. Is that right? Or do you yeah. by Stephen or Steve? Which do you prefer? Uh, I've been. My mom started with Stephen sort of tens of decades ago, so it's kind of stuck. So it's Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Oh, I only get the extended name, the extended version of my name when when someone's when my, when my mom's angry with me. That's you know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> what is your full name? Is it Jefferson or something? No, it's Jeffrey. Unfortunately, <laughs> neither option works well. I remember um, when I was um, when I was a teenager, there was a, uh, a a girl who I was friends with her um her older sister she must have been seventeen, eighteen at the time, and she was lovely, like one of the sweetest people you could meet. But she, um, among a bunch of my friends, she she said that my name sounded like the noise that a dog makes when it gets sick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not hot. what you want to hear when you're kind of, um, you know, a teenager trying to try, trying, uh, yeah, trying to fit in with your peers, you know. But well, thankfully, it didn't stick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. But, I'd forgotten except that with story. me. And like, I get it. How old was she? 17, 18. Yeah, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. God, that's damning at that age. Yeah, and she was like cool, you know, to, to all my friends as well. So, oh, yeah. bloody hell. What can you do? <laughs> Starting out as a therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Should we just kick off then? Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. do a little intro. I'll record something when I edit this. All right. So we're here today with uh, Stephen Kelly of Oya Energy, with a mind to talking about the nature of hybrid or transition heating. I don't know hybrid heating. Jeff, how how are you most comfortable with us referring to this? Well, not that it matters. I mean, um, uh, hybrid. I've heard of um, hybrid heat pumps is is one of the kind of accepted 
definitions, I suppose, where you have a heat pump uh, accompanied with a fossil fuel boiler, as far as I'm aware. Would you say that's fair to say, Stephen? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the a, a good description. Yeah, it is. It's the bringing together the addition of a heat pump to an existing heating system that's fired by a boiler to create a hybrid so that the um, heat pump sort of covers the the weaknesses and the problems associated with the gas boiler. So weaknesses, in fact, before we get into weaknesses and problems, why don't you, sorry, thank you, Alex, in the chat. Yeah, welcome to Zero Ambitions. <laughs> How rude. <laughs> what hasn't been recorded, obviously, is the, the chat we were having beforehand. But uh, you're absolutely right, Alex. A little bit of form and decorum. Uh, it's not going to go on. Always best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, who are you? What do you do? That's a rude version of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just not on it today. <laughs> okay, well, so uh, I graduated in engineering back in the early 80s. I've been in the construction industry um, since uh, I left college in 82 and uh, primarily working in hotels and commercial buildings. And then about seven years ago, I got into new house building. And the houses that we we built over the last seven years have all been out in the country. So they're off the gas grid, which forced me into uh, designing houses that would work with heat pumps. Um, so high levels of insulation, et cetera, et cetera, underfloor heating. And what was obviously uh, very apparent um, was that uh, to me was that the government wasn't really thinking about how to decarbonize the UK housing stock. And whilst I'd had a lot of experience in designing new houses that would work with heat pumps, it was clear to me that the need to decarbonize and stop burning fossil fuels, et cetera, climate change, I'm sure everybody's familiar with that. There, were, there wasn't, in my opinion, the right amount of thought and effort going into uh, addressing the problems of the UK housing stock and how, how it could be um, tackled in the long term. I mean, you know, I'm a, a grandfather for the first time about 18 months ago, and it really sort of hit at home the, the need to, you know, what's the planet going to be like in 50 years' time for our grandson? And so I, I sort of, you know, we, we kicked it around, and our three grown-up children, it's always nice to find something that you can talk about over dinner where everybody agrees because I'm sure in most houses, you know, I find myself in a minority of one. Um, and the idea of the chat about climate change and what we collectively might do to help it was um, was something that was a, a good um, dinner conversation point. So um, we, we kind of kicked it around and obviously being aware of what heat pumps can do and what they can't do, et cetera, it kind of got me thinking about how are we going to apply this to the UK housing stock so that they too can decarbonize because you know the, the numbers are out there we as a nation 65 million tons from all the houses 65 million tons of carbon emitted every year associated with the housing stock and it's and it's obvious that we need good, we're going to need to do something and given that the majority of our housing stock is poorly insulated my knowledge of heat pumps is such that they're going to struggle to a, a heat pump is going to struggle uh, to provide sufficient heat to cover heat losses where the insulation is at a poor level. And what we what we kind of kicked around between us was the idea of well, and, and I'm not quite sure how it all 
really came about that sort of eureka moment. But at some point, one of us said, well, if we keep the gas boiler and we just add the heat pump and get the heat pump to do the majority of the work for the majority of the time, surely that's much, much better than letting the gas boiler burn for the whole year. And and it kind of went from there, really. So I did sort of dug into it with, you know, calculations and the like. And certainly, you know, if external temperatures are above two or three degrees, which for the majority of the UK, for the majority of the time, they are. And as a consequence, a well-designed heat pump will cope with most of the situations for most of the time. But it's that, that time when the temperatures get very cold, poorly insulated houses, the heat pump's going to struggle. And as a consequence, I felt it was better to leave the gas boiler there and, and create a hybrid heating system. And it de-risks those, uh, those periods in time when heat pumps tend to get a lot of bad press because they don't quite manage to do everything that they ought to. And they also cost a lot of money to run. Does that all make sense? And it, yeah, and- yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know people in the heat pump industry who will say that, um, you know, seasoned people in the heat pump industry who, uh, who would say that, um, you know, for domestic heat pumps, you can go up to the in the region of a kind of a 12 kilowatt or so heat pump should be able to do a sort of a, up to a very pretty large house uh, 100% of the time, you know, um, 400 square meter, that kind of thing. Um, uh, I was talking to a guy who lives in a house like that, actually. Um, I, I understand the rationale for, for um, it's going to, in many cases, I can see it being an easier sell to 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 encourage people to buy a heat pump if 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 um if they have misgivings about it um around performance in cold weather, for instance, you know um um and its capacity to to heat a building um but it it's a it's a pretty mature technology really at this stage I think um and you know when you look at look at markets like Sweden where there's millions of heat pumps installed for instance I wonder for uh, unless it's exceptionally large buildings, I wonder. I wonder how necessary it is to have uh, backup ba- uh, backup uh, heaters. I mean, you know, they already have direct electric as backup, of course, as well. You know, not that you'd want to use that other than in an emergency. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned Sweden. I mean, the, the Scandinavian countries are well far far ahead of us with regards to heat pumps, but all of their buildings are so well insulated. And as a consequence, the the heat pumps only, you know, the the eight kilowatt or 10 kilowatt heat pump for a 2000 square foot house is only being asked to provide the heating to cover minimal losses. In the UK, the majority of the housing stock is so poorly insulated that you you're. Your losses are such that um, the heat pump's going to really struggle. And and when the when the external temperatures are at naught or minus uh, minus one minus two, then the uh, efficiency of the heat pump. So you're putting one kilowatt of heat in, and everybody knows this ratio that you get three kilowatts of heat. But that's only when the external temperatures are sort of four, five, six degrees and above. Um, yeah. it, when the temperatures get much lower than that the efficiency of the heat pump is such that you might be putting one kilowatt of electricity in to make the heat pump work but you might only be getting one less than two one and a half 1.8 kilowatts of heat out and as a consequence it becomes very expensive to run when the heat pumps are working inefficiently um that in conjunction with undersized radiators undersized pipes that are 
okay when they work with, with very high water temperatures, but when the heat pump's only pushing out water at perhaps only as much as 50, 55 degrees, those radiators and those microbore pipes are such that you're not going to get sufficient heat into the different spaces with the heat pump to make it work. And yeah. that, does that all make sense? Yeah, no, it yeah. does. Well, yeah, it, it's. I mean, the, the use of the word maturity of a technology or the phrase maturity is really interesting because, like, we had this uh, we had this conversation a while ago on the the heritage episode. Like, our building stock is mature in its own way. Like, it's well ventilated because it's leaky and because fossil fuel heating was cheap. And that is like the building as a system. That is the mature technology. Now we're introducing a new technology, which is changing things. And so, like Steve, Stephen was saying, like insulation is not a mature technology in this country. It's been around a long time, but it's been done badly because no one's really cared because it was cheap enough for us. It worked for what it was. I think this is... So just for full disclosure, I know we've said some of this before, but uh, Alex and I encountered Stephen through uh, a bit of work we'll be doing together, probably on the, the communications side of things. And Jeff is the chair of the... Oh, what's, the what, Association what's the, of, of Ireland, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're all coming from slightly vested interests. But what yeah. interested Alex and I about uh, Stephen's proposition was like the technology is a moot point because heat pumps work. And gas boilers work. Yeah. And what struck me as being of particular interest is that uh, it offers an emotional aspect to the sale, which is not present when we're, or it's an acknowledgement of an emotional aspect of the technology, which is not present in most discussions of it. The fear people have of the new technology not working. So Alex's grandma barking at him not to touch the boiler. Yes. Or Robbie, I can't remember who it was. Robbie said, uh, Robbie from D-Res again, when he talked about the, the Irish house builder who included gas boilers in his passive houses because there's no way you'd have sold the houses without one. Yeah. Like just to make people feel comfortable. It's an extra um, 300 quid to make the sale or 500 quid, whatever. It, it right. de-risks the situation. You know, the, some of the heat pumps have got some bad press because – uh, some people out there, in my opinion, have oversold it and said it's the it's the solution and the and the gas boiler can be taken out. But actually, by leaving the gas boiler in, you de-risk the situation because you you can you can sell it. The technology is you know it's it exists today. I mean, uh, okay, in in ten fifteen years time, we'll be making heat pumps with uh, working at much higher pressures with with different um, fluids in them such that they do develop hot water at 70 80 degrees c the same as a gas boiler and none of us will worry about it then it'll be just you know the heat pump will be able to replace the boiler straight away but the the idea of um in a, in a standard three bedroom semi 1500 square foot end terrace something like that it's got three external walls only one internal wall the heat losses are, if it ha- if it isn't properly insulated, are such that when it gets cold, the heat pump will definitely struggle. And by leaving the gas boiler in, which at the installation stage, the cost of adding the heat pump and leaving the boiler in and getting it to work as a hybrid, the costs are virtually the same as taking the boiler out. And it just de-risks the situation. If you actually find that you've sized the heat pump uh 
to a, to, to a uh, sort of kilowatt rating such that it does cope with all of the um, heating demand all of the time and the gas boiler never ever has to has to click in then as a consequence you know you you you've got the best of both worlds because your heat pump is working all the time hopefully running off renewable energy uh, all the time um and the gas boiler doesn't have to click in so there's no fossil fuel being burned but people have got peace of mind that the system's going to work I can that, see, that, yeah, I can see there being an argument for um for retaining a boiler, even for psychological reasons or whatever, um, in in existing homes. Um, I'm a little nervous of it though, um, for for a few reasons. The point as well about about the cold weather, it, that's a really interesting one. Um, and you're right that like the in reality, the COP of a heat pump is dynamic. You know, um, so the the, the quoted figures that you get, um, are so page F. Uh, so the coefficient of performance it's the it's the amount of uh, heat generated by the heat pump in kilowatts uh, versus the amount of of electricity uh, kilowatts of electricity put into the heat pump um to to generate that heat um and uh the typical kind of figures that that would be quoted by manufacturers would vary from three to four um higher in some cases for ground source heat pumps um and it, even for some air to water heat pumps um the reality can be quite a lot worse than that um uh because uh you know they're they're making those cops are making assumptions about specific uh delta t's or temperature differences so you know you might be assuming that the uh air coming into an air to water heat pump is at i don't know seven degrees five degrees whatever it might be and it could be coming out at 35 or 45 or 55 or whatever you know um so there's standardized kind of parameters for that that would be used for for testing uh heat pumps and en standards and so on um so I, I i get all of that um it's interesting i've, I've probably talked about this before on the, on the podcast but um we i used to be of the opinion many years ago when we talked about heat pumps um that when I hear a COP uh, claimed, uh, I, I would immediately be thinking, that's great, but what's it like when it's minus five, right? Um, because yeah. I thought that was the most important question. What I really meant to ask was, what's it like when I need it most, right? And about 11 years ago, um, a consulting engineer called Paul Overy, uh, who, who we know, um, he was doing a lot of consultancy work for... Uh, non-domestic buildings where there were high energy demands. These were existing buildings built during the kind of Celtic Tiger years. And um, what he found from the modeling that he was doing, and I think this was reflected in the real data as well, was that the temper- the heating use in these buildings was peaking not when it was coldest, but rather when it was three to eight degrees. So what he did was he went to, I think it was, was it maybe Meteonorm or one of these kind of weather file sources to look at what was happening with the weather files. And in Ireland, now it might be different from certain parts. It would be, it would be different from certain parts of the UK, for sure, in this regard. Um, but in Ireland, and in most parts of Ireland, what you tend to find is that when you're in that range, that sort of three to eight degree range, temperature-wise, the wind picks up. When you get down to lower temperatures, you tend to find that the wind drops off. So... We have this condition. Anyone who's spent prolonged periods of time in Ireland knows that you have this 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 phenomenon. And I know people who, who've moved here from Sweden and other parts of the world where they feel colder in Ireland um, on a typical winter's day when it's maybe three five degrees or so, um, because of that you know uh, that wet uh, horizontal uh, you know wind driven rain. And 
those kinds of conditions actually suit air to water heat pumps really quite well. So uh, I'm not saying that you don't need to be able to cover the the colder temperatures because you absolutely do. But it's, uh, it, you know, the question is, if we look at the last winter, for instance, that we, this winter, this winter that we've just had, as as one example, and it was a mild winter, in fairness. But you know, how, how often is it really dropping into the kind of temperatures where a heat pump is really going to struggle? You know. Well, we had a we had a we we installed some created some hybrid systems for a, a housing association on a trial basis, and um, we so you've got different criteria as to when to get the gas boiler to click in. Um, so you can choose to turn off the heat pump and get the boiler to click in when the external temperature drops below two, or you can create a criteria whereby when the coefficient of efficiency, the the efficiency of the heat pump drops off to say uh, less than 2.5, you then turn the boiler on, or you can actually get really clever and put in the gas tariffs and electricity tariffs that you're paying and actually keep keep the heat pump running until the gas boiler, even at these elevated gas prices, becomes cheaper to run than the heat pump. So you might actually, in these days of very high gas prices, you actually might run the heat pump for longer, working inefficiently, because it's still cheaper to heat the house in that way rather than turning the gas Perhaps, boiler. And that's what most people will be concerned about, for sure. Um, yeah. And 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 what we what we found was that the uh, the, the only time the gas boiler was clicking in in these trials was when the external temperature was less than less than zero. So in that cold snap, just a couple of weeks before Christmas, um, the, 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 literally the system worked a treat because the heat pump was, although when we installed it, we changed all the radiators. Because what you tend to find, well, the other thing with retrofits is in old housing stock is that the, the, the pipework and the radiators are full of gunk. So the thing to, I mean, the 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 other thing that was dry. Sorry, I'm jumping around a bit, but the the, the other thing that drove me uh, to this hybrid thing was that stalling heat pumps. They work with better, with with more, with bigger radiators and bigger pipe sizes. And I, but I always thought that it would be uh, totally unacceptable to do major disruption to change all the radiators and pipework in people's houses just to get them to work with heat pumps. But the thing that you can do relatively easy when you do when you install your heat pump is. Um, do a power flush of the system, push all as much of the gunk in the system into the radiators, and then change the radiators for new radiators that are double uh, thickness, et cetera, so you've got more air, heat emittance area. And, and what that does is it gets the system to be able to work at lower water temperatures. And what, what, what we found in these trials was that having, having done all of that, even when we got the cold weather, it was still cheaper to run the gas boiler at the elevated gas prices when the temperatures were down at sort of minus three, minus four. And also, uh, what we the other the other benefit of the hybrid, and it it's a sort of a lesser one, is the uh, Legionella cycle. So when when you when you've got if you if you take your boiler out and you put a heat pump in. Then the water, the stored water is such that there's a, a possibility of Legionella buildup, and so you tend to have a high temperature flush once a week 
to make sure there's no legionella buildup. Ridiculous, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and so most heat pumps have an electric booster heater, like an immersion heater in the bottom of them to make that work. Now, what you can do with the hybrid system, because what you really want to be sure about is if you want to call call upon the gas boiler to work at any point, you need it to, to have, and it might only need to work for a three, two, three, four weeks a year, you need it to be ready to work. So it can't stand still for 10 months. So the nice thing that we've done with these in these trials is actually set up the Legionella cycle to be tackled using the boiler. So once a week, the boiler is called upon to run to lift the temperature of the system up to 70 or 80 degrees, kills off any Legionella buildup. And as a consequence, your boiler is getting run for a wee while every week and it's ready to fire as and when necessary. And it was really, you know, th- these trials worked an absolute treat in that um, the the heat pump, it, the, the control system established that the temperature that were being required in uh, space heating weren't being met and literally clicked over, called, called upon the boiler to bring in. And as a consequence, the tenant wasn't even aware that, there was a that there wasn't a prop a problem being created by the heat pump not delivering what needed to be done. It's really interesting hearing about this in terms of or being able to conceive of like a decarbonisation system that's actually a fuel poverty mitigation system. Like in this particular application, you could discount the 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 carbon part entirely from some of this conversation, where you've got a system that's driven by some technology that just enables you to choose the cheapest form of heating that's a that's a curious benefit well well there's also a bit of resilience isn't there because you've got two heat sources so you know if there are if there are uh, some problems and certainly this in these trials uh, in the early weeks we had i think i think the heat pumps had been installed and and some of the filters uh, weren't cleaned out properly and as a consequence we got some low flow and as and then the heat pump was a was so because of the low flow uh, cut itself out, but the but the tenant didn't have a problem with that because the gas boiler clicked in when the uh, heat wasn't being provided by the heat pump. So again, there was that resilience there, um, and it, it de-risked the situation. Um, and obvi- I mean, jumping right back to the very beginning, started when when all when I got sort of started all this, that the the objective was to decarbonize, stop burning fossil fuels. Um, and, and obviously, it would be great to be able to take out all the gas boilers and put heat pumps or other forms of heating in that doesn't necessitate uh, fossil burning of fossil fuels. But it, but what I what I found was um, it was better to stop burning boilers for most of the time, so that your carbon emissions dropped by seventy five or eighty percent, than actually you know not doing anything at all. If that makes sense, and it's all using existing technology existing machines existing controls we're not waiting for uh, you know a heat pump to be developed that can push out water temperatures at 70 80 degrees we can actually have the benefits of the heating of the heat pumps now in the uk housing stock with its poor insulation levels yeah so, so where do you install these um, these hybrid systems when uh, where uh they're um that we're at the early stages with a housing association. What about new, um, new? Well, are you ever installing new gas boilers paired with heat pumps as well? No, no. I, 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 I it hasn't been. Uh, all the people we're talking to 
they you know the key is um just to add the heat pump to the existing system and make as minimum number of adaptions as is possible it's not necessary to add a new boiler because the new the existing boiler is going to be called upon to run for a much much reduced period in any one year I suppose I mean I can understand it and I can see the benefit of it, but I would have some concerns as well. Um, I just I think there's uh, you know for starts uh, uh, it goes without saying that I think I think people should be doing at least some fabric improvements to buildings you know uh, where possible and it's, it's it's yes there are hard to treat buildings but uh, there's, there's usually something that can be done. I don't think anyone's saying that that's not the case though. Well, like, well, but but yeah, but if the starting position is um, in the UK's poorly insulated housing stock, we need heat pumps plus a boiler to back it up. It's just important to kind of uh, to look at. It might be possible to have quite low hanging fruit interventions there to 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 uh, obviate the need for that boiler. Um, uh, I mean, no one's got the money to do to do everything all at once. But this is one of the benefits, like the bit that you're hot for the AECBs new uh retrofit yeah that, level like one, level retro one level two. get yourself heat pump ready ready true this is an, an opportunity but that still requires some fabric improvements it's not, yeah, yeah. It's not but no. no one's saying no fabric improvements like literally fuck no one yeah well it's just, it's just an important kind of caveat to kind of to kind of get out there because that was that nuance was kind of wasn't picked up i suppose at the start um and i think uh, and the, one of the other things that occurs to me uh, I mean, I don't know how the standing charges work for gas um, in 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 yeah. the UK, because you know, you've got that, you know, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. The the standing charge associated with the gas supply is a continual cost that has to be that has to be met um, for the heat pump to work, because for the for the hybrid to to operate, and you, you need to you can't just turn your gas supply off completely. Because uh, you, as I say, I, I, we were we're arranging for the gas boiler to click in once a week and do the Legionella cycle. But um, so it's absolutely fair that the standing charge associated with the gas supply is an extra cost that is associated with the uh, the hybrid system. That's an interesting one as well, because uh, of late in the UK rather than Ireland, I presume the the energy companies are playing silly beggars with standing charges at the moment yeah. on the rare occasions i dip into facebook i can see one particular case raging in the posts where they, they've absolutely taken the piss with it just putting up standing charges to a, an unreasonable and unfeasible a, a degree that makes no sense and this is this is, and i think it's aside from the fact that we need as peter rickaby has pointed out in our magazine in the past um we need tariff reform between electricity and gas, you know, it's ridiculous that that uh, that the the taxes for for uh, for for supporting renewable energy, for instance, in electricity, yeah. you know, should be borne on electricity and not by gas. Uh, so you, you let it's the it's the it's the pay the polluter principle almost, or it's 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 it's, no, it it's an inverted kind of system. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, like it makes no sense. I was talking about this with uh, uh, a guy who does industrial versions of this in the week, and it's just preposterous. Like it almost feels like conspiracy. But there has the... been talk. I mean, I don't know where it is at now, but there there, there was talk. Uh, I think even among even even coming emanating from government about about reforming this. I yeah, don't know where that's a lot got of talk. To. But I mean, the, the but... price is set for renewable energy by this ostensibly by the subsidies that have to be paid out to the fossil fuel companies, just for extraction itself and processing. 
Like, never mind the rest of it. it but also, I mean, we're talking. We're just talking about gas boilers here. But presumably, you could use your system with um, an oil boiler or wood pellet burner or something else. Surely, no. Absolutely. There's no reason why the sort of hybrid principle can't be applied to um, other heat sources, other existing heat sources. It's just creating a new system whereby the heat pump does most of the work for most of the time. And that, you know, and at the time when the heat pump either becomes overly expensive or struggles to to meet demand, you've actually got the um, original heat source can can click in and, and unfortunately, you know, burn some burn emit some carbon. Uh, but you, you've effectively um de-risked the situation because you've got that backup heat source for when perhaps it might not work. Uh, now not speaking about your system specifically, but isn't isn't there a risk in some situations if people have a have a backup of a of a boiler um that the presence if the, especially if the occupant isn't particularly diligent, the presence of a backup boiler could mask problems with the heat pump install for instance you know ah all right well i mean that's a really interesting point because the heat pumps that we're using are um made in the uk and they all have um a intelligent um effectively a sim card in them so they're basically dumped down uh, data on a, a daily basis back to a head-end computer so we can not only monitor uh flow temperatures pressures efficiencies etc but also electricity usage gas usage and we can not not only remotely monitor but remotely control so if for example the heat pump is uh working in a in a, in a poor state for whatever reason then the the boiler can be uh switched on and and the heat, and and the the tenant or homeowner can be made aware that a service or attention is needed that remote monitoring and remote control is what what in certainly in talking to um housing associations i've i've found that that um ability to remotely monitor and remotely control is a really key offer that everybody is really interested in um, uh, by similar it's very interesting um that that feature is it's, it's a laudable feature um if it's something that you, you can kind of try and you know, provide as a standard, uh, a standard feature. Um, well, we met the company that produced them. We're going to have them on uh, over the coming months. Alex and I met them before Christmas, and they're a fascinating bunch. They come out of the car business, so yeah. they're interested in performance, not saving the world. <laughs> and so, and yeah, it's a really interesting sounding business. We only met, we only spent an hour with them, but I think there's a there's a lot of stories there. But that's yeah. it. Like, it's that there are, uh, from what I understand, we haven't interrogated them much further than that. But yeah, it's performance driven. I guess the other element that, that uh, on a similar to, on a related note, um, one of the things that is kind of essential to all low energy building to make it to make it uh, work as as optimally as possible is engagement with the occupants um, to get them to understand that you know um if they can change their habits and this can be difficult in a social housing context i i, I understand or or in a, a private rental or or even in the spec spec housing market where the the buyer isn't necessarily invested in the decision to kind of to to, to make a specification choice on a building um but 
getting sitting down with them engaging with them they call it there's a process for it they call soft, soft landings um to show them how to run the building properly um i think is kind of kind of critical and if people are uh looking at a system that's a combination of a boiler that they're used to and they're might be a condensing boiler that they're net that's never in condensing mode because they're they're operating it in that kind of on off blast the heat in um, and then uh, and switch it off and then and then wait for it to get cold and then blast the heat back in at very high temperatures in that kind of way. There's a risk then that the whole system is operating at uh, at, at lower lower efficiency. So I presume you you have to have kind of systems in place to 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 try and ensure that that's not happening. That you're running the systems at, at the lowest temperatures you can. Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, this continual monitoring, the data gets uh, dumped back to the head-end computer every uh, 20, well, on a every 24 hours and recorded. And you can actually, um, you can tell when, uh, you know, that the hot water demand has been satisfied. You can see um, the flow temperatures, the pressures in the, in the heat pump. But what we've also done with this particular housing association is we've installed additional uh, sensors on both the electricity incomer and the gas incomer. So we're monitoring total electricity usage and total gas usage. We're also monitoring um, compressor electricity usage actually on the heat pump. And we're just about to install um, dedicated heat meters on the output from the heat pump and the boiler. Um, because there's a, there's a, a movement on the part of the housing associations to collect i mean collect data without relying upon their tenants and and this remote monitoring remote control capability is a a real game changer from that point of view man so how do the tenants feel about that have you had any other scoop on that um well they they don't they're not really aware that they've got such a clever system in all honesty. The, the thing that's important to them is they always have hot water and they're never cold. And they, they basically, <laughs> yeah. basically set the temperature of the, of the, the living room, etc., And um, the controls work out what's the best way of providing that heat. And in most cases it's the heat pump, but there's going to be times when in this particular, you know, in these particular houses with their particular level of insulation at particular low temperatures, the system will decide to turn the boiler on. And But they don't need to know that. Cool. So one of the things that we've not really talked about, which I do want to touch on, because the reason why we got you on is because I think it's a really interesting model. And I don't know how well tested. Heat pumps are mature technology, a very mature technology, but we've never been through a... We've never been through a uh, decarbonization, that sort of a transition in culture. Like it just hasn't happened, obviously. And so, like a lot of people need to learn from a lot of people about how to manage, mitigate. So, all the stuff you're saying, Jeff, like it's absolutely on point. It's presumably, not presumably, inevitably, you're very uh, heat pump pious. Like, like. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's a funny one, actually. When I took took on the role uh, with uh, 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 to chair this this association, um, I hummed and hawed about it a lot. Um, and um, and I when I when I met the board, it was kind of 
on the basis that I would be able to kind of cover, I, it's, it sounds difficult because obviously there's a conflict there between my journalism and and this role, you know, uh, that, that I should be able to, to cover the issue without fear or favour, of course, that I should be able to. Um, and it was, it was really only after, I mean, God, the guts of 20 years worth of, of writing about buildings, um, writing about low energy buildings, uh, that I was kind of confident enough in the data we were consistently seeing on on heat pumps when properly installed. Now, we, we know the horror stories, too. Um, yeah. So I, I needed to get assurances from um, the board of the association that there would be um, a, a serious uh, willingness to kind of engage with regards to quality assurance you know yeah, yeah. And, well and, be and, fair to yourself jeff you've got a track record and a background long enough storied enough to demonstrate credibility yeah i'm just well, i'm just mocking you because you're a <laughs> passive house zealot isn't it like um but the bit i'm interested in is like something that came up that we didn't dwell on when we first spoke Stephen, about how uh you started out looking at the uh, domestic sector yeah uh, and like one of the things that you encountered there was, I mean, it's it's a lot of work convincing people and encouraging those behavioural changes uh, in, I mean, in this country particularly. If we're in Scandinavia, yes, Jeff, it'd be a lot easier, but like a lot of things would be different. Um, I'm just curious because this is a sort of, whilst you are going to be uh, a market leader or specialist or however you position yourself in this sector, there's a lot other people can learn from your experience. This is why we we had you on. So I'm just curious about uh, what difficulties you encountered trying to convince uh, the able to pay market, the domestic sector, about the value of this approach. Because I think there's there are issues within that that we could all learn from. Okay, so we originally targeted the general public, um, and and the website was very much geared up to that and. Uh, we were inviting sort of discussion with individuals and and we had you know a little not a lot of traction but you know we had i don't know we were talking initially we were talking to perhaps 10 15 different individuals um and and but what was obvious to me was that a some of those people were prepared to jump in early because they know it's the right thing to do for the planet but the 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 general public, which I was particularly interested in, the, the, the majority of the UK housing stock, people are not going to jump in and do this until the government incentivizes or penalizes if you don't do it. So we, 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 we're kind of too early to tackle general public, in my opinion. You know, everybody, you know, reads about climate change, but they, they think, well, why should I do it? Nobody else is doing it. All right. I mean, it might be a bit, you know, I apologize, but I'm sure I'm sure that's the thinking. <laughs> yeah, 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 too too early for the public, too late for climate change. But but the, but the the interesting thing about housing associations is, if I'm talking to ten people with um you know who are interested in creating a hybrid, and one of them's in Cambridgeshire, and one of them's in Oxfordshire, and one of them's in Manchester, and two of them are near where I live, it's a huge effort on my part to actually talk to all those people and actually deliver something. If I start talking to housing associations, if I talk to six people, I can actually be talking to 200,000 houses, effectively. So talking to housing associations was an obvious uh, next step, having started to address the general public. And the uh, because 
A, you were talking to effectively a lot more houses and effectively a lot more sales, but B, the housing associations have got, you know, their CSR policies, corporate social responsibility. They have to be, you know, they're obliged to start to decarbonize. And as a consequence, you've actually got a, a set of customers out there that are interested but they 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 are they're more they're obliged to do something doing nothing is not an is not an option for a lot of them does that make sense yeah 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 100% i'm just curious about uh really it's about how people individuals responded to the offer because a lot of what right so alex and i we've been selling user experience strategy wireframing to people who need websites it's easy Oh, it's not easy, but, you know, people who work in that field, they understand what it is. So we set up our agency, everything is user experience to sell it for all sorts of other things. So ostensibly, it's systems design, whether it's a messaging system or a marketing system or uh, or a website or an event or an actual product. Like it's all the same methods. It's all the same interrogation process. But you take, you start talking about user experience in messaging or events and people look at you a bit daft until you start painting pictures for them and showing them examples and it's not that different for you because you're presenting to this market what is a new proposition i'm just curious about your experiences of dealing with members of the general public talking to them about it because like from the ones i've spoken to they've They've had very mixed experiences with suppliers and some unrealistic expectations. Mm. Um, well, talking to the general public, I, I tended to be talking to people that were interested in this because they responded to our, you know, um, website and and LinkedIn approach and all, all this sort of stuff. So you've actually you, you, you don't I don't get to talk to people who are not interested. I only get to talk to people who are interested. But the but the sort of the next step from that is, well, why why should I start now? Nobody else is starting now. You know, why should I be? You know, because let's face it, you know, heat pump yeah. installations—they're not just a couple of thousand pounds. They're going to be significantly more than that. So it's a a big investment to decarbonize, and as a consequence, I, I'm not sure the general public is really ready for it. The majority of them. Oh, that's so- interesting. Following on from that, then, what about the industry itself? How are they responding? Because my assumption would be that, uh, and I think, Jeff, you'd probably be in that camp, is that we should be, as we said before, getting rid of all uh, gas gas or whatever, you know, fossil fuels in our houses immediately. And I think to some extent, the industry on the low energy building side certainly is trying to promote that uh very very large scale change fabric first make sure the buildings first that are do not need as much energy to heat or stay or stay warm or stay comfortable so how how much of a, a pushback or how much how much embracing have you had from the industry when you came up and said well we're thinking of actually keep putting a hybrid system in because that is the right path i suppose and maybe i'm putting words in your mouth here but that is the right path to decarbonization when i'm assuming they're probably saying no, the path is to completely cut out the uh, the carbon aspect of, of the solution. Therefore, it's not the right solution. We talk to lots and lots of people, and and providing I get enough time to actually explain this at all, they kind of come round to the sort of thinking that because it's a because the situation is de-risked 
and the and the extra costs are only associated with the standing charge of the gas you're act, they're actually thinking well yeah th- this this might be a way of actually moving forward now with the existing technology i mean i don't know 10 20 years time will we be pushing gas through the um, um hydrogen through all the gas network to make all the boilers work you know i, I i'm not convinced of that myself no first. no we won't uh, no, so no. but but <laughs> But the idea of waiting for uh, heat pumps to heat pump development to get to the point where they're creating hot water at temperatures that are equivalent to the gas boilers, we've got a wee bit of time to wait for that. So, and and can we as a nation, can we as a planet afford to wait? We, we need to be getting on with it and doing something now. And I just felt this creation of the hybrid was a uh, a step that everybody could take now. Yeah. So- existing technology, existing controls, and we could make a difference straight I, away. I should say, though, that I mean, that I'm, I don't think that point about, about heat pumps uh, changing to, you know, being changing refrigerants and capable of uh, achieving higher temperatures um, is far away, really. I mean, you know, we're already seeing a mass shift among many of the heat pump manufacturers to, uh, to R290, which is the, the industrial name for, for propane basically yeah. uh, as a refrigerant um and that works really well i mean there are as a case in point some of the some of the propane heat pumps on the market or r290 heat pumps um are uh are just hot water heat pumps alone for you know like for apartment buildings where you have where you don't really need space heating for instance um yeah um so and they they have the, one of the other things that's driving that shift is is uh is the very low global warming potential it's basically you know uh, for the Hot water heat pump that that we fe- one hot, hot water heat pump that we featured in the magazine a while ago the the amount of refrigerant the 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 global warming potential in terms of the equivalent amount of carbon emissions from the re- refrigerant stored in the machine itself was equivalent to I think I think I worked it out as a third of an apple mm-hmm. you know um, so it's it's uh, it's at kind of risable sorts of levels I just I think. I'm not disputing that there that there is a market for hybrid heating. I think there, I'm sure that I'm sure there is, but um, just, it's a transition market, though. It's not a it's not a it is a market with a, a lifespan. I just don't want to yeah. overplay the the idea that uh, that there's a, a necessarily a need for a safeguard. You know, like do you keep a, bu- a a bucket of ice in case your fridge your freezer breaks down? You know, I mean, um, it's oh, yeah, but but the, but the, but surely the the response to that is. No, you don't keep a bucket of ice because your fridge always works. The problem is that to get people to live with a heat pump, they've actually got to think about the heating of their house differently to the way the gas boiler heated up. That's true. Yeah, yeah the shipping ice from the Arctic industry didn't dry up the moment refrigerators were on the market is a stronger analogy. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I know. But uh, I think, um, I guess where I'm going is that I think uh, uh, that the, the a, a lot of our, our emphasis I think, has to be, and I'm sure you'd agree with this too, Stephen, is that um, because I'm sure this is consistent with the approach that you would take to your own heat pump installs. But if we we need to ensure that that, that there's real attention on the 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 selling, the, the design, the installation, the commissioning, and where required the servicing of of uh, of these machines. Um, and if we get those kinds of things right, and we sit down with people and engage with them, and yeah, there's a, a lot of parts to that. I th- I don't think we should need the the stabilizers on, you know, um, in, in in that kind of situation. 
you know um, and i think that's what we kind of i would be trying trying to move towards and we're seeing we're in an interesting position in ireland as a neighboring kind of country not you know not to say that there are not problematic heat pump installs in ireland because absolutely there that there are but we've gone now to a situation because of a change in our building regulations that started off in 2007 and uh, has kind of gathered pace over the last years where in a market where up until you know 10 years ago oil boilers were the the dominant heating system in new homes um because we have a lot of one-off housing off off gas grid our gas grid doesn't extend as far as yours we've now moved to a situation where we're at between 80 and 90 percent of new homes feature heat pumps which so it's been the kind of extraordinary growth um so much so that that one of our challenges in retrofit is in, is is getting the manufacturers to take enough of an interest in the, in the retrofit market because they're, they're, they're so busy you know um uh i just i just wonder um uh, you know i i think we can we can get the 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 systems in place to 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 get heat pumps right and not to say that there isn't a place for hybrids i just i i just want to make sure that that people understand that in most scenarios, I think I think a uh, a, a heat pump should be able to work uh, by itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, we say so, this all the time. But Jeff, Jeff, in that case, I have to ask: Are the current houses, the one that exists, the one the leaky ones that are uninsulated, can they be run on a heat pump alone? That's the one. Can, well, that's it. No, yeah. They, yeah, they like, can. I mean, not necessarily uh, reliably in in economic terms. I'm not saying that you should do that, right? Um, it's it's about the flow temperatures rather than the the fabric. Really, you've got to be able to run the the, the building at, at low enough temperatures, and and yeah, you know, like you, better heating design, heating systems design would make a big difference. But we're asking for not perfection but we're asking yeah. for a much better quality of installation of everything within the british market which as we know is woefully underserved by well, quality. but that, that should be a prerequisite anyway and we and we should yeah, never but, be conceding I mean, that point you know yeah yeah but we but we've got to deal with the actual reality that's facing us no not i know the one we would like to exist i know like i live in this house now it's bloody freezing there's nothing we can do about it and it's going to cost an awful lot of money to start fixing things. I know, but we but we shouldn't. We should. We, uh, <laughs> it's not quite the same thing as the last podcast we were talking about uh, about uh, not not uh, allowing for Nazis uh, in our discussion. You know, where, you, where you kind of, uh, but uh, we we shouldn't be we shouldn't be tolerating incompetency either. You know, uh, competency should be a prerequisite, uh, uh, and um, and if that's not part of the discussion, then we're uh, then we're at All a loss. Right. From the start, so you've, you know, you've gifted me a transition there because I want to talk about something you began to to touch on. But I've got one quick question for uh, you, Jeff. First, the Heat Pump Association of Ireland does that cover Nordyland as well as the Republic? Uh, yeah, Southern Ireland to all the English well. Countries. I mean, there, some of the members would be uh, will, will be operating in 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 the north as well. Because we met, uh, Jeff and I met up with uh, Jan Rose now in the week, uh, just to have a chat with a mind to him coming on this. And one of the things that came up in the conversation was how well served Scandinavia is in terms of heat pumps and how that was facilitated by proper guarantees regarding the the quality of installations. One of the big fears is add a new complex system to an already complex system without guarantees that it's going to work. You know, all the horror stories, it's going to bump market confidence and it's going to be a much slower market to grow. And one of the things that we've talked about that Jeff's been talking about a lot more recently in conversations we've been having with people away from this podcast is what can we do to kickstart 
uh, an insurance back guarantee for the heat pump industry. Like that's something that that yeah, not really just warranties needs- on the machines, but actually on this just the installed system. You know. Um, so I'm just curious about how uh, this is affecting your business, Stephen. Like you know, guarantees, warranties, the availability of insurance, and the risk being incurred by not just the person who's procuring the system, but the person who's delivering the system. Um, well, my my experiences on that point is that I'm only getting asked for warranties associated with the installation at this point in time. So that that bigger picture of sort of insurance back guarantees hasn't really cropped up in the in the clients and potential clients that I'm talking to at the moment. So your liabilities then shared between you for the installation and then the the supplier of the actual system itself. Correct. So. And presumably, what with their continual monitoring, they're all over that anyway. Is a, a, yeah, a point of pride. I, I think this this continual monitoring is an absolute game changer. It, 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 I mean, I, I, you know, over the last seven or eight years, I've been installing heat pumps in new build houses with very large heat pump suppliers, and the system works really well. But the problem comes if is if there's a problem because they don't have really the after sales and aftercare service mm. to really respond to the problems. Okay. Yeah. And the one thing that you get with the heat pumps that has the remote monitoring and remote control capability is you can diagnose the problem from afar and you can actually talk the whole homeowner round into, well, you know, like a computer, turn it off and turn it back on again, probably solves most of the problems. But also they can say, right, well, yeah, you have got a problem. We've ordered the part and our engineer will be there on Thursday. If you run it in, we'll, we've set the, the machine to work in a particular mode that will keep you warm until our engineer can get there and get it to work efficiently. So this whole thing about remote monitoring, remote control, I think is fundamental to the quality of the after the, the post-installation service. Yeah. Then the only issue you're dealing with there, I'm taking the Jeff role here, is thinking about it in terms of technology. Uh, I hate Internet of Things. Like, I appreciate the need for sensors, but broadly as an industry, it's bullshit. Like, you don't need your fridge to tell you you need more milk. Like, that doesn't need to happen. There are instances where it makes a lot of sense, but one of the big flaws with the way the technology industry has conceived of itself and found funding and grown is that there's very little stability in it as an entity. So if you think in terms of software, uh, software as a service, you know, a company might get an awful lot of funding, market itself well, have its uh, system integrated into all sorts of other systems, then as soon as the venture capital money runs out and they start having to charge customers proper money, all of a sudden there's no business because everyone ditches them and tries to move enough people ditch them to make them an unviable business. There's no free money anymore because of interest rates rising to become actual interest rates again. And all of a sudden the company goes under and then people are left with no, no software. That's, In fact, the whole thing's the just thing. gone. The, um, mon- the monitoring is very important, but I think the point of an insurance backed guarantee covering a long period of time is that, you know, if we're going to have these too big to fail, supposedly too big to fail financial corporations, we may we may as well use them for something. You know, um, and um, you you want you want a situation where where you know um, 
where if a, if a given company in the supply chain isn't there anymore for for whatever reason, um, the the punter is still protected. You know, but uh, that's dangerously close to promoting oligopoly rather than interoperability. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't want to prop up uh, those kinds of systems, but there, there you go. One question I have for you, Stephen: um, Are there ever scenarios where you can, inv- where you could uh, envisage yourself selling a heat pump to somebody without a boiler? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You've got to. You've got to. The, the first thing we've got to do is go to the the house and do a technical survey. Um, effectively gather the data on the heat source, the electricity uh, incomer, um, the, the the levels of insulation. So effectively, most of the data that's collected when one does an EPC, okay? So if you actually go somewhere where the insulation levels are such that uh, it's in a really good, good point, good state, then um, our analysis of what's needed would establish that the heat pump would is capable of providing the um, sufficient heat all of the time even at temperatures of minus five so so i i absolutely assure you that i wouldn't try and advocate a hybrid if it wasn't necessary but my experiences to date having gone out and surveyed quite a few properties now is that most of them in my opinion are not ready to go full heat pump and as a consequence we're advocating the hybrid approach. But in answer to your question, if when we surveyed it was heat pump ready, then not a problem. Heat pump only. So you're you're surveying yourself in some degree of detail. You're not taking oh. the EPC at face value because no, no, as no, we no, discussed I, last week, they're horseshit. I mean, I mean, it's not. Sorry, 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 Dan. What did you say? It's, we discussed last week they're horseshit EPCs. Well, I, <laughs> all I too often. Have, I wouldn't have put it in those words, but you're right. <laughs> so, right trust trust so down to me to choose the I, right words. <laughs> I, ser- I certainly would not trust an existing EPC to move forward with the design of a heat pump only or, uh, or hybrid insulation. It's absolutely fundamental that a proper uh, technical survey is done on, on EPAP. I mean, one could do it on, when we're talking with housing association, one could do it on house type. Okay, but when for an individual member of the public, you'd have to go and and survey the house properly. It's yeah. worth emphasizing here that that uh, an existing uh, an, an EPC for an existing home is a different animal to an EPC for, or should be a different animal for an EPC to a new home because they tend to be re- um, based on default information much more. Uh, and you shouldn't not to say that the the new build ones are going to be right necessarily, but there's less excuse for them being wrong. In new build because it is possible to 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 obtain more 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 detailed information well i i think i mean i'm i'm involved in new build housing so i understand how the system works so you basically you put the design of the house to your uh to the person that's doing the sap calculations and they can they can do a proper assessment of the epc at design stage and what you're obliged to do prior to getting sign off with uh, the building regulation with new housing is you've then got to um sign off that you've built it to the design or you've got to actually make the um the the person that's done the sap calc aware of where it's deviated and as a conscious you've then got the as built epc so the the, the sap ratings etc that are being published with new housing are uh, much much more accurate because they've been based upon 
what's been specified in the building of the house and on the basis that that's just happened over the last few months then clearly it's going to be much much more accurate i mean when people go out and do an epc rating of an existing house from that's 20 50 years old they have to make a, a, an enormous number of assumptions uh on the um levels of insulation in inaccessible places and as a consequence you know one can question whether or not the EPC rating that comes out of that process is worth the paper it's written on. I know. I I think um, I'm inc- really interested in um, some of the people. Some people will have to start having on the podcast and be people like Smart HTC and uh, Veritherm who have got um, a, a method in place for measuring the heat loss rate in a in a more nimble way than a than uh, than, than a kind of cohesion test um, in a way that, that you, you you install the equipment for a period of time and it tells you what the what the actual uh uh heat heat losses uh, from from the building over over that period of time so th- those kinds of things are, i think are useful i would say though i mean i think it's also important to say that um talking about the existing housing stock as if it's a homogenous uh uh you know uh house type for instance or, or as if there there are uniform characteristics across them not that we were saying that but but you know people can infer that um is wrong and i think there's a, there's questions about at what point um, you know, if I look at, at the AECB's new level one retrofit standard, for instance, which is a, focused on heat pumpification, as they call it, and I look at the super home scheme in, in Ireland, which was, again, heat pump connected in existing homes, connected to existing heating systems with additional emitters added uh, in some cases um, to run at low, low temperatures and an air tightness uh, an air tightness target of, of five cubic meters per meter, per meter square per hour, which is a, probably about half of the leakage of a lot of the existing stock in, in, in or some of the, the existing stock, at least in the UK and Ireland. Um, and then inst- installation of a mechanical ventilation system uh, because you need ventilation or you'll you'll die. <laughs> um, and um, uh, the, the the monitoring from the likes of superhomes has been really pretty positive. You know, uh, the, the longitudinal monitoring studies has shown good measured COPs for installed heat pumps um, run yeah. by normal enough people in existing homes uh, in suboptimal conditions, but not disastrously bad conditions in terms of the energy performance of the buildings, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, and and without boiler backup, I should say. So I would, you know, I don't know how they would have performed over the last over this winter in terms of energy costs, of course, because because of the madness of, of the energy crisis. Um, but we're talking about homes that were achieving mean COPs uh, for this is with a, a, an air to water heat pump, um, taking account of immersion use and defrost mode um, on the heat pump of 3.4 for space heating as an annual average um, and 2.4 for domestic hot water, um, which is pretty solid. And you know, compared to the likes of the Energy Saving Trust field trials uh, in the UK, certainly it would be knocking, knocking, uh, you know, be- beating the crap out of them anyway. You know, so it just it was a positive example of what can. Uh, what can be done with normal heat pump technology with but with well-designed retrofits you know yeah i mean i'm i'm certainly not surprised about cops of in excess of three across the year it's it's the 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 problem comes when the temperatures are minus five and the cops at 1.8 that that's where the problem occurs you know i i mean i'm i'm advocating that um the heat pump will do most of the work for most of the time and, yeah. and and as a consequence you're saving all your co2 emissions in that period my concern is that when you know when the temperatures do get really cold and the cop drops off and yeah. the insulation isn't there then 
to make sure that you know heat pumps don't get the bad press let let's let the boiler click in if you know we we we're, we're going to be burning a lot lot less uh, fossil fuels than we were originally um and we've de-risked the situation about you know not meeting the homeowners requirements of these no, no, it's, it, 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 it's it really is sort of it, perhaps perhaps it's an emotional thing that i'm sort of uh, edging towards that it's this safety that's going to be okay whatever happens you well, use the phrase peace of mind yeah peace alex of- were you, did you just jump in there alex i was going i'm going to Oh, he's cutting out on us anyway. Um, yeah. yeah, peace of mind. It's a really interesting phrase. Uh, and it's one that we use with another of our clients who's in the security business, uh, funnily enough. But uh, it's really, really relevant. Comfort is an emotional issue. It's really important. So Alex is back with us, I think. Yes. On jump in, love. I wanted to ask you, I'm just wondering, so your system in a sense is relatively new. So you come in, you put in your, you've got an existing boiler and you put in a heat pump. The heat pump does most of the work, and the the boiler covers the, the periods when it needs to. What happens when the boiler itself completely breaks down to the point where technically it would have been replaced back in the day? What happens then? Um, I haven't got to that point yet with any of the clients. Uh, to be to be fair, um, but I suppose the answer to that would be hopefully that's be- because the boiler is being used much much less when it's working as a hybrid it's going to last an awful lot longer. But there will be a point when some of them need to be replaced. And you've actually got to look at that point, whether or not, A, to replace it, or B, um, you know, do you put the put the money into better insulation so the heat pump will work all the time? Or do you, do you, you know, it, 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 you've got lots of options. But I haven't come across that particular scenario to date. All right. Yes. I, think, I think certainly... Because I have I have no issue with a hybrid system. I think that there is there is a need. Uh, I'm not an expert, and I get I get the point of the people who say that we have to jump ahead. I think we should we should also, but I think the hybrid system has its place because not everyone is going to just have a, a completely insulated house. But I think it's really important. Have I cut out again? No, you haven't. No, no, you're still there. You're just boring. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. No, I, I think it's just still really important to, to consider that that future as well, because you can't just expect. Uh, certainly, I, I would be very unhappy to hear that boilers are being replaced at that point. So there should always be a, a strategy or, or some awareness campaign being created to tell people, yes, you can have a hybrid system, but no, you cannot go and replace your boiler at the end of its life. You have to have moved on to something else. Yeah, uh, hopefully the heat pump uh, manufacturers are making machines that uh, work with particular refrigerants and particular compressors that, you know, in 10 years time, when the te- technology is there with different fluids and and and, and higher pressures, they, they could actually be changed whereby the, the same machine with some adaption could actually be producing hot water at higher temperatures. And then you can take the boiler out altogether at that point. Yeah, that would be a real game changer if the machines that were being installed now had the capability of being upgraded in the future when different different fluids and different operating pressures could be you know made to work at that point. Ah, well, um, aware that we're running a bit long now. Uh, I was going. No, no, not at all. It's been really interesting. Um, like, uh, what I was going to ask you is, what do you want to see for the future? As a way of wrapping up, but you just answered that question just then. 
Like, yeah, we, we as a nation, we, we need to be getting to a point where we have uh, zero carbon heating. Yeah. So what's keeping you up at night? That's the question, because we've heard what's keeping Jeff up at night throughout the episode. But I'm curious about uh, what what's bothering you uh, or what's what's on your mind uh, as a professional in the space. Um, I, 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 I just don't think we're doing anywhere near as much as we ought to. Uh, you know, with the, the, this the uh, path to net zero, uh, we're. we're there's 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 a lot of chat out there. There's some there's, there's onshore, there's hydrogen, there's all sorts of things going on. But actually, when you talk to the man on the street, I think a lot of them haven't got a clue. And and really, we need to be doing something for the the sorry the person on the street. I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. All right then. Well, thank you very much for your time. All right, it's been good to see you again. And where can folk find you if they want to get in touch? Um, who me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oyerenergyuk.com. Uh, cool. And all your details there. He's on LinkedIn as well. You've got a, a meager profile on there. I was just checking at the start of this. It's uh yeah, I mean, it's just Oya. Yeah, we no, we've got we've got uh Twitter and LinkedIn, etc. But the yeah, the website is oyerenergyuk.com. Cool. All right. Well, uh cheers. And uh see you soon. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Oh. And thanks to all the people listening as well, presuming you get to the end. Uh, <laughs> cheers. Oh, and if you did get to the end, uh, share it with people because we want this to reach as many people as possible. It's all important stuff. If you've got to this point, presumably you know at least some people who might be interested in it as well. So share it with them. All right, cheers. Big up. Bye.